Well, good morning, church. Happy 4th of July. Happy Independence Day. I mean, we're celebrating the 256th anniversary of our independence, no longer subject to the subor- or subordinate to King George III, the monarch of England. So we're free at last. Amen. <laughs> Able to enjoy the freedom. We celebrate that. We even had fireworks. Did you see that? The first song? Had fireworks going off in the song, so it's a good day. My name is Mike Carlisle. I'm the director of missions for the San Diego Baptist Network of Churches. We have about 200 churches here in San Diego, of which Summit Point is one of our great churches. And I'm so honored today that Pastor Elisha asked me to come and uh, bring a a message from God's Word to you. But I'm really proud of this church for a couple of reasons. I've known the long history of the church. Dwight Simpson, your former pastor, is a friend of mine, still is. And he was here for a long time when the church was, the church was facing this way, not this way. And, uh, but I love this. This is really, really well done. And, um, but another reason I love it is because your theme for the church It's helping people find and follow a Jesus. Now, that happens to be the theme of the book. I mean, Jesus said, I came to seek and to save the lost. So Pastor Elisha has led you well. Any church that's aligned with God's word and and the pastor is aligned with his preaching and the church is aligned with the word, God is going to bless that. And so you're in a really good place right now. So, uh, by the way, we have a little commercial here. in October, we're going to sponsor a church-wide, city-wide, county-wide uh, summit called Love Your Neighbor. You're going to hear more about that as the time comes. And uh, you already do a good job at that, but we'd like for you to be a part of it as well. Well, as a church, um, you have weathered many storms. And that's the subject of today's message, weathering the storms of life. And we're going to dig into God's Word. It's a simple message, but it's profound because it's Jesus' teaching. And um, I remember when you started constructing the building and raising money and doing all this work, there's all kinds of uh, storms that kind of come out of that. You know, you you often have people say, I don't like the color carpet. I don't like these kind of chairs. Where's the pews? And I get all of that. And God bless you for embracing change because the world never stops changing. And uh, if, if, if we're too lackadaisical in that, we'll find the, the world kind of runs right past us. Just a couple of years ago, we're told just to station in place, two weeks, 14 days, let's just uh, lower uh, the threshold of this pandemic storm. Let's flatten the curve. Well, now well over two years later, the curve still isn't flat, and we're still feeling the impact of the, uh, of the pandemic. Many of you have had the virus, and if not, you probably will have it because there's so many variations going around now that um, it just seems to be something we're going to have to deal with for a while. Well, in a minute, I'm going to open the Bible, and I want to show you some things that I share with you, some things that I'm learning about weathering the storms of life. If you have a Bible, open it to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to look at about four verses, and hopefully when we finish today, you're going to feel like your life is built on a new foundation, a new solid rock. Uh, let me just ask you a question. Would you agree that no one, none of us are immune from life storms? Would you agree with that? In fact, not pastors, not popes, not the rich or poor. It doesn't matter how much education you have or lack thereof. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your political preference is or your religious affiliation is. 
No one escapes life's storms. Why? It's because the Bible tells us that the world we live in is a broken world. And when there's brokenness, it affects all of us. You may be living the best life of, that you possibly can and, and not hurting anyone, but the world you live in is a broken place. And I can tell you, if you, if you live very long, you and I and all of us are going to experience some challenges of facing hurt and pain and, all, and loss and all that goes with it. So the Bible tells us that going into it. So what do we do? So the subject this morning is weathering the storm. So Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would be our teacher. I pray, Spirit of God, that you'd have freedom in our mind, in our heart and soul as we open your book together and try to understand exactly what Jesus was teaching us before we leave today. And everybody said, amen. All right, there's a little clip Hollywood produced for a movie called Into the Storm. Let's kind of set that up and have a look. Hey, Allison, what's happening? Keep filming. Whoa, guys, look at that. Hang on, hang on, help's coming. I mean, Hollywood does a really good job at dramatizing some of life's biggest things, right? And so even that, that was prepared uh, probably in the Hollywood studio with graphic effects and so forth. It does point out that real people face real storms, not only just weather storms, but all kinds of other emotional, physical loss and so forth. In fact, there's another little clip. I just want to play about a minute of it. This is an actual story. It's about two years old now that uh, I just captured off of ABC News. Watch this. We do want to turn now to the deadly and historic flooding in the Midwest. At least two people dead there, two others missing as the water reaches record levels. For the latest, let's go straight to Sam, who's in for Rob this weekend. Sam, good morning. Hey, Dan. And this isn't the kind of gentle standing flood water that we see pictures of often in river flooding. This is water with the kind of power to do that. That's a dam. So this water hit that dam, destroyed it, and was even powerful enough to cut around it. It's the kind of flood water that's taking away roads, bridges, buildings, anything in its path. This morning, from Nebraska to Wisconsin, historic river flooding from rapid snowmelt and ice jams, leaving at least two dead and two missing. In Nebraska, the destruction widespread. Roadways completely crumbled. Take a look at this highway cracked in half with floodwaters rushing right through. Okay, I think you get the point. The Not only so does Hollywood create a scenario to make us aware of real things that happen, but the real things are actually worse because they're real. And real people face floods and storms and so forth. Uh, a few years ago, Judy and I were living, my wife's Judy, she's on our staff as well, and she works with women, women's ministry and discipleship. But years ago, um, after seminary, we had moved to Fort Lauderdale, Florida, beautiful beach area, love Florida, don't like the bugs, don't like the humidity, 
like San Diego, just so you know. But anyway, we were living there, and we met a couple. I was leading a ministry called Evangelism Explosion. And the purpose of that is uh, my job is to go around teaching pastors and leaders how to unoffensively be a witness for Christ in businesses and work and so forth. And so we're doing these week-long seminars. And um, I met a couple, Jack and Lois Malday. Now, Jack was an insurance man. He was in his mid-30s. Uh, Lois is a beautiful woman. They have two daughters, uh, young daughters, about seven, eight years old. And uh, Jack looked like, have you seen that statue of David, you know, the beautiful statue? He looked like a golden Greek god. I mean, he had curly hair, blue eyes. He was physically tan and fit, and uh, he was very successful. So successful was he that they were trainers of trainers in evangelism. And they had decided that God wanted them to shut their business down. They were self-supported and go as missionaries around the world and help churches do a better job at equipping people to share what Jesus is all about, the gospel. And so um, we met them. We had dinner in their home, met their little girls. They lived on a canal in Fort Lauderdale, had a boat. I mean, just everything you could want to think about, life is good. That was Jack and Lois Malday. And so, and, and for all the right reasons. So Jack had a secret dream. He told Lois one day, he said, you know what I've always wanted to do? I've always wanted to take a hot air balloon ride. And I'd like to get in it with a couple of my buddies and just sort of fly low over Fort Lauderdale at Christmas. So lo and behold, Lois arranged a pilot with a hot air balloon. And uh, she said to Jack, come on, I'm gonna, I got a surprise for you. He said, what's a surprise? She said, no, 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 get in the car. They had a convertible. The two little girls, Jack was in the passenger seat. Lois is driving. And she takes him to this hot air balloon place where the pilot had, and two of Jack's friends were already there. They got into the basket and the balloon, up they went, and they were having the time of their life. They were over the beaches and golf courses of southern Florida, and Jack and his friends were singing, we wish you a Merry Christmas, we wish you a Merry Christmas. People were waving at him, and they just thought that was spectacular, so he was having a great time. Well, the pilot, a lady got so caught up in the fun and festivities, she wasn't paying attention to where the balloon was drifting, and it got too close to power lines and an arc hit the balloon, sort of exploded the balloon, and immediately it just shot up with the extra heat. Jack's two friends jumped out, then out over a golf course. Jack dumped out, jumped out. The, the girls and Lois are following, and they see everything. They pull up the golf course, and there's Jack, broken, dead. And, of course, Lois is just... Beside herself, she gathers the girls, she kneels down, she says, let's pray, and, and she was trying her best to hold it together for the girl's sake, and um, she was just going through all the grief that anyone could imagine. I mean, no one thought on that beautiful day something that tragic would ever happen. And so uh, they were members of Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church, and pastor, uh, the pastor of the church came, Dr. Jim Kennedy, and he said, Lois, I know you and Jack had great plans and you know the church supports that 100%. And I know I'm asking a lot of you, but, but do you think you'd have the emotional wherewithal if, if this Sunday you could stand before the church and share how you're coping and let us pray for you? And she said, well, pastor, I'll try. And so Lois was introduced that Sunday morning. There was a Jewish um, 
newspaper writer there from the, the Tribune for the Fort, La- Fort Lauderdale paper listening to her story because it was published. And I mean, this was a big deal in, in Fort Lauderdale. And so she, after introduction, she said, now some of you are wondering how I might be able to stand here so fresh um, in terms of time of this accident. And she said, I'm not sure I know either. But I do know this. Jack and I had planned our life and we had planned to go across the world. Many of you know that. And just to be able to equip and train leaders to share their faith. And she said, I have a favorite verse in the Bible that's getting me through this time. She said, Paul the Apostle said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. She said, for Jack and I to live is the gospel of Jesus Christ and our trust in him. Our focus on God in our life and family. This is the foundation of our life. And she said, if it had been me that died and Jack would be here standing before you, he'd be telling you the same thing because I'm going on. He would go on. I will see Jack again. He'll see me again. But right now we're dealing with the grief and the pain and the heartache. And she had to stop because she was weeping and her chin was quivering. She couldn't finish as well as she wanted to. But as a result of that, she said, but you understand what I'm saying? For me to live, it's not my car. It's not our beautiful home. It's not our boat on the canal. It's not the money we have in the bank. It's not the success we've... For me to live is Christ. I want you to hear me say that. She sat down. The pastor in the church prayed for her. And after the service, this Jewish newspaper writer caught her before she left. He said, Mrs. Malday, I don't know how you said that. I've never heard anything like that in my life. Would it be possible for me to come by and meet with you this week? I think people need to hear your story. And she said, sure, yeah, that'd be fine. So they arranged a time. He came by their house. He sat down. And he said, now, I heard what you said. But now that time has passed, how are you really doing? I mean, I, I know you're a Bible-believing person. You're a Christian. I get that. But how are you really doing? She said, were you in church Sunday? She said, yes, I heard what you said. She said, did you hear the verse that I shared with you from Galatians, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain? He said, yes, ma'am, I heard that. He said, well, then let me tell you, say it again. For me to live is not all these things that we often attach meaning to, like Christmas gifts that we come, we get them, we unwrap them, and we move on. We get a house, we decorate it, we move on. We buy cars, we think, oh, this brings me happiness. We move on. Those don't bring people happiness. My life is built on the foundation of faith in God through Jesus Christ, my Savior. He said, this is amazing. He wrote this story. He called it Fire in the Sky. And I'll never forget that because in his mid-30s, he and his wife had a torpedo run through their life. But you know what? Lois is still doing well. Years and years later, the kids are now grown. And Jesus tells a simple story that Lois understood. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Let me give you a test. It's up here. We'll read it together in a minute. Two houses. One's built on a bad foundation of sand. One's built on a foundation of rock. Now this is a test. This is a pretest for the post-test. It'll come later. The pretest is foundation built on sand. Good or bad? Bad. Foundation built on rock. Good or bad? Good. 100% pretest. Way to go. So 
Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now I want to point out something. Go careful and slow here. Everyone who hears these words of mine, he doesn't stop there. If you have a pencil, underline does them. Circle does them. Exclamation point does them. Who hears these words and does them will be like, so here's the analogy. Here's the story. Now he is applying it. It'll be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, underscore, does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell. And great was the fall. So there's three things I want to point out in this simple four, verse, four or five verses here. The first is everyone who, I call it a strong building. If you're taking notes, I know there's not a note sheet, but just say strong building. Everyone who hears these words of mine will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Judy and I have a background. Our genealogy goes back to Scotland and Ireland. That's kind of what the white hair goes. And um, so we had gone back there and we were making, we we're visiting different places and we're in this pub in Ireland and having dinner. And I was sitting next to a guy who's, who was um, talkative. And he said to me, so, uh, sir, where are you from? I said, I'm from California. He said, oh, California. I've been there. I've got a cousin who lives there. His name's Joe Malone. Do you know him? I said, uh, well, there's probably a million Joe Malones living in a 40, 40 million population of California. So... Maybe I met him. I don't know, I, but I don't know, your, I don't know your cousin. He said, well, uh, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a pastor in the United States. I said, have you been there? He said, I have been. And I said, what do you do? He said, I'm a builder. I said, a builder like you build homes? He said, yes, I build houses here in Ireland. I said, well, you've been to California. You see how we build them. And what's the difference? How do you build the same or different? He said, oh, it's much different. He said, in California, you clear off a space. You put some mud on the concrete on top and some steel and you build your house and maybe it lasts 50, 60, 75, maybe 100 years. He said, over here, we find a place and we drill down till we hit bedrock and we pour concrete and a footing and then we build the house on that. And you'll see some of these houses have been here for hundreds of years. I said, that explains a lot about my house in Oceanside right now. I get it. I see you, you're, you're building on the rock. And it reminded me of that time when Jesus was talking to the apostles. They were in Caesarea Philippi, which if I could describe it to you, it's a big, craggy, rocky, rocky place. And they were standing there close to the ocean, rocks all around them. And Jesus asked a question to his followers. He said, um, who do people say that I am? And some of them said, well, some think you're John the Baptist, come back to life, or you're Elijah, one of the prophets, uh, and so forth. And then he goes over to Peter. Peter who cut the ear off of the high priest's servant uh, before Jesus was crucified. Peter who said, I will never deny you. And he did three times. He said, Peter, who do you say that I am? He picked out Peter for a reason. Who do you say that I am? And Peter got it. He said, you are in Hebrew. You are the Yeshua HaMashiach. You are the anointed one of God. You're the one we Jews have been waiting for to come and redeem us and to save us. 
You are the Christ of God. And he said something amazing to Peter. He said, thou art people, Peter, in, in the Greek, he's called a little snow. You're a little pebble. But upon this rock, every place in the scripture, Jesus is, uh, refers to Jesus, he calls him the rock. Jesus is the rock. Say that. Jesus is the rock. Say it again. Jesus is the rock. Thou art Peter, little pebble, but upon this rock, Jesus, upon this rock, knows he's saying to Peter, because of your confession of faith in me, the Savior of the world, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. This opens up heaven's doors for you. Whatever you should bind on earth should be loosed on earth, will be loosed in heaven, or bind in heaven will be loosed on earth, and so forth. And it goes to this big thing about how big a deal this is. Who do people say that I am? People are still struggling with that question. But notice he moves from talking about a strong building built on rock to a stormy blast. This is the second thing I want you to see. Notice both houses face storms, rain, flood, winds. Rains hit from the top, floods come up from the bottom, wind from all directions. You see the analogy? He's saying when, when bad things happen to your life, it's like this. It's like you're disoriented. It hits you from the top and the sides, and you don't know one end from the other because it's just overwhelming. The rains fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house. But it did, verse 25, it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Our foundation, Mike Carlisle and Judy Carlisle, our foundation had been, was tested almost five years ago. We have three sons, two live here in California. Well, one lives in California, one in Texas, and one in Idaho, Boise, Idaho. We raised them up in Orange County where I pastored for years. And uh, so we got a call on a Friday night, and my wife picked up the phone. She said, hello. And it was Ling Fei, who's our Chinese daughter-in-law in Idaho. And here's what I heard. Mom, dead. Mom, dead. Uh, I, I grabbed the phone. I said, Ling Fei, what, what's going on? She said, Dad, Craig's dead. My oldest son. And I can tell you the shock wave went from my ear to my brain. My mind just kind of went into a spasm. I didn't know what I was hearing. I didn't want to believe what I was hearing. And, uh, and I said, Ling Fei, who's with you? And she said, the sheriff's here and, and the coroner's here. I said, put the sheriff on the phone. And uh, so I said, sir, uh, I'm, I'm Craig's father in Oceanside, California. What happened? He said, Mr. Carlisle, your son was on the way home. He, he was on his motorcycle to check out the sunset at the park. And on the way home, he went around the corner and hit a truck head on. And I'm, I'm really sorry. I'm really, really sorry. And I said, um, I said, sir, we'll be there in the morning. I, I've got to catch a flight. Now, we had all kinds of plans made. We had a vacation coming up. No, nothing mattered. Uh, this was unexpected. We were disoriented. Decision-making was complicated and hard. Our life routine just got whacked. And uh, all that matters, we got to Boise. And we got there, and my daughter-in-law was pregnant. We have five granddaughters. This was our first grandson she was pregnant with. And my son passed away, and 
didn't get a chance to meet him. My wife helped deliver that little baby boy. And I can't tell you the pain and the amazement. We were seemingly feeling it all at the same time. So from strong building to a stormy blast, and here's the best part, it's not gonna get any worse, I promise. Steadfast blessings. Steadfast blessings. If, it's built, if your life's built on the rock, your house will stand. And I'm here to tell you, when life hits the bottom and you have a foundation in Christ, it's solid. Because you know life doesn't end when your eyes close and this body deteriorates. Life goes on. And uh, I learned a little phrase that's, that's helped me along the way. Faith that's not tested is faith that cannot be trusted. Can you say that with me? Faith that's not tested is faith that cannot be trusted. Now, God doesn't cause bad things to happen. We know that. The world is a broken place and bad things happen. And um, the scripture says, whoever does, whoever hears these words and does them is like a wise man. Not just hearing, but does them. So Jesus is saying that a wise person is one who not just hears these words, but we place our whole life, faith, and trust, and purpose on the gospel. Romans 10, 13 says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, it's just not calling upon the We do have to call upon the name of the Lord, but it's, it's placing our entire trust and life for eternity on what happened at the, on the cross and the resurrection. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, but it did not fall. But why do some people fold up? Why do some people just cave in? Why are some people so blown away when their life gets turned upside down? I'll tell you why. They built their lives on the sand, their own personal ideas, living on what, what's in this for me, or worldly wisdom, or things that don't last, or the shifting sands of good intentions, or the silt and the muck of religious activity, thinking that's going to get us into heaven or please God. The only real foundation for your life is the resurrected Christ. And that is the message of this Bible. That's the message of this church. That's the message of your good pastor, Elisha Rimstead, preaches Sunday after Sunday. And if you want to know what your purpose is in life, and people ask me a lot, what does God want me to do? He said, go on the world and make disciples. And so we are to be followers of Christ, being a disciple, making disciples. And it starts in your home. If you have kids, there it is. You start right there. And if you have a business, there you go. You have an opportunity to express your life, your faith in Christ. If you're in school, same thing. Everything in life makes more sense when you understand God has given you a purpose. And while God hates evil, he hates human suffering. He didn't intend for it to be that way from the very beginning. He can take bad things in life and bring good out of them. You say, what do you mean? The purpose for our problem is to conform us, conform our character. It's a process the Bible calls sanctification. It sets us apart to show us we, uh, let me put it this way. We are able to take a spiritual idea and physically expose a watching world by the way God leads us through our pain. 
Does that mean we don't hurt? No, it means we hurt just like everybody else. If we, you get cut, you bleed. If your heart gets wounded, you hurt, you grieve. Romans 8.28 is a very misunderstood verse, but people use it with all the good intentions. We know that God causes everything to work together for good for those who, are, who love God and are called according to his purpose. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son. You see, well, how can God take the loss of a son or how can God take the loss of a husband? Or how can God take the loss of a job? How can he ever bring good out of that? The best analogy I can think of, my mom, God rest her soul, she was a, a wonderful baker. She baked everything from candy to cookies. I'm living proof still. You can, you can tell she did a good job. My wife was also a good cook. She, she grew up on a farm, a dairy farm. They had, she had to cook for the hands that worked on the farm. And... Um, so my mom taught her how to bake. And so I asked Judy one day. I walked in the kitchen. She had the table all lined up with all these components. I said, what are you doing? She said, I'm, I'm making a cake. I said, oh, okay, what do you got here? She said, well, I got, I got eggs and sugar and flour and salt. And um, I've got um, vanilla, vanilla. And what am I leaving out? Chocolate. Ch oh, chocolate. Yeah, of course, it's chocolate cake. I like you. Chocolate. Uh, so she had all this out there. I said, look, honey, I, I can't wait. Whatever's in here, I need to eat it now. I'm really hungry. I want some cake. She said, well, this is not a cake. I said, hang on just a minute. So I went over to the eggs and I, that doesn't taste like cake. And so I went over to the, um, the salt. and the, No, that's not an egg. So I grabbed the vanilla. I said, ah, here it is. Oh, man, that is the bitterest stuff. None of this tastes like a cake. She said, stand by. So she, she did her thing, put them all in, mixed it up, and she put it in the oven. About 30 minutes later, came out, let it cool for a little while. She put the chocolate on it, and she got the, she said, now, here's your cake. And I took a fork, got a piece, I said, oh, that is amazing. How is it you took all these crummy things that tasted terrible, horrendous, awful, and now this is so good. And it just a dawn hit me. That's what God does. He takes things in our life that for the moment are awful, they're terrible, they're stressful and so forth. I mean, the Bible is filled with these stories for our comfort. You know, one of the great stories in Genesis, there's several chapters, so I gotta hurry. Uh, the story of Joseph, the son of Jacob, the coat of many colors. Um, and you know, he was loved by his father his favorite son, and he was hated by his brothers because he, kind of he was kind of a little show-off and kind of a dorky little kid. They, they didn't like him. And so they took him on a trip one time, and uh, uh, the brothers thought, we're going to get back at Joseph. We don't have coats of many colors. Only Joseph does. They put him in a well, took his coat, put blood on it from an animal, took it back to the father and said, oh, the animals must have killed your son, Joseph. Here we found his cloak. And the father wept and was grieving and he couldn't believe that his, his favorite son was, was not there. Well, some traders came by, pulled Joseph out of the well. I'm going to really go forward here. He ended up in Egypt and they sold uh, Joseph as a slave to the general of an Egyptian army called Potiphar. And so he was a household command sort of servant. And uh, so Potiphar's off one day and his wife wanted to have uh, a relationship with this young, good-looking Joseph Hebrew. 
And so she said, come and lie with me, and he refused to do it, and he ran out of the house, leaving his coat in her hand. So when Potiphar comes back, she lied about it, embarrassed. So she said, that young servant tried to um, rape me. And uh, so Potiphar threw him in jail. So here's the good kid Joseph, mistreated by his brothers, mistreated by his job as a servant. Now he's in jail. There's a whole lot of stuff going on here. And ends up, he was such a good prisoner that they made him sort of in charge of the prison. He came out, another story, another sermon, and he ended up in the administration of Egypt. He became second in command of Egypt. And then there was this huge famine in the land. And Israel was going to die because they didn't have any food. So Jacob sent the brothers to Egypt, where now their brother Joseph looked like an Egyptian had the headdress, had the eye makeup on. I mean, he looked the whole thing, spoke Egyptian. And so they appeared before him. They didn't recognize him. And so he played, played with them a little bit and he sent them back. And he said, bring my, uh, bring, do you have any other children? He said, yeah, we have a younger brother, Benjamin. Bring him with you. And they said, oh, oh no, he's gonna kill us and, and our father won't be able to handle this. Anyway, he come back, and Joseph, when they came back, he was so filled with emotion, he began to blubber, so he had to leave the room, go out of another room, and he wept and he cried, and he came back. His eye makeup probably was all running down his face, and he said, I'm Joseph, your brother. Now he's speaking Hebrew to him. I'm your brother, Joseph, you, the one you left for dead. And boy, can you imagine? Fear gripped their heart. They thought, we are do dead dogs now. He's going to get us back. Fear gripped their heart. He said, no, listen. And he grabbed them and he wept and he hugged their neck. And he said, Genesis 50, I think it's verse 20. He said, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. How was he going to endure prison, being betrayed by his brothers, being in, lied to about Potiphar's wife and so forth because he said, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Listen to this. In order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive, God used all of that to save an entire nation. Israel was saved because of Joseph's pain. That gives a different context to it when you know the whole story. Paul the Apostle understood trouble too. Uh, I'll put up a verse here in a minute uh, from, from 1 Corinthians. But let me read. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. It's a New Living Translation. Listen to what it says. Paul said, now you Paul had, Paul knew trouble. Um, he, he was shipwrecked. He was snake bit. He, he, all this stuff. He said, our present troubles are quite small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us an immeasurably great glory that will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see right now. Rather, we look forward to see what we have not yet seen, for the troubles we see will soon be over, but the joys to come will last forever. I, I kind of liken it in my own mind to going into, if you ever have to go into surgery, it's not something you look forward to. I mean, if you can kind of project yourself on the other side of it and say, I may have to endure some pain in order to get better. Um, interesting side note, 
January last year, 2021, I woke up and I had this virus. I don't know if it was COVID or what, but I have what's called single-sided sensorineural hearing loss. Lost all my hearing on this right side. You say, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, now I have a hearing aid over here that picks up sound that I can't hear. Bluetooth set over to the hearing ear so I can kind of hear a little bit. Except when there's a lot of noise, then, then I'm, I'm trouble. I just don't, I don't hear. So if you talk to me and I don't respond, I didn't hear you on the way out. So anyway, all that to say, um, there's some issues to that. There one's called location issues. In other words, if you can only hear this side, if someone speaks, hey, Mike, over here, I turn this way. If I hear a speeding car coming this way, I turn this way. That's dangerous. Uh, my wife, I say to my wife, honey, where are you? She says, I'm here. I said, what here are you? Where here? Where is here? Because I don't know if she's upstairs, downstairs, in the bathroom, in the bed. I don't know. I said, tell me your location. So I found out. So I had MRIs and I had CT scans. And the good news is this past week, I met with an otolaryngologist, big name, who does this stuff. And they can perform a cochlear implant. You probably have seen people. It's got kind of a big thing on the side of their head. I'm not looking forward to that. But they put a computer chip in your skull and they put a hearing device so it connects to the nerve that no longer can get the signals and I'll be able to hear on this side. Not as well as normal, but I'll be able to hear and I'll have location back. So, so in a month or so, whenever they schedule it, I'm going to have that. Now listen to what Paul said. According to the grace verse. Chapter 3, verse 10, here. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation as someone else was building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds on it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation uh, of gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, you see a blast furnace, this work is being tested. If it's gold, silver, precious stones, it survives. If it's wood, hay, and stubble, it gets burned up. He'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So some of us have falsely believed that just when I get into heaven, that baptism is a finish line. Baptism is not your finish line. Baptism is your starting line in Christ. And the rest of your life is set up so you can make disciples, be a disciple maker, be an influence, whether you say, well, I'm not good at speaking about religious things. Well, you can tell your story. God will open doors if you'll let him. And, and this is what's going to be building your um, reward in heaven. You say, you, are you telling me there's going to be some kind of hierarchy? Yeah, that's what I'm telling you. That there are things that are going to happen in heaven. The Bible talks about you receiving the, the crown of, of reward and all these things. Now, there's a lot more here. It's another sermon. But I just want to say to you, we all have storm stories. And my question to you today is what storms do you face? Maybe like me, you've had your own set of uh, pain, grievous things. And the question is, do you have a foundation that is solid? Because it exists. It exists. It's real. It's true. And it lasts for all eternity. 
My favorite old hymn, and I love the old hymns because I'm old, <laughs> I guess. Uh, my favorite old hymn is uh, Christ the Solid Rock I Stand. It goes like this. My hope was built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. In other words, we get his righteousness when we become a Christian, and he gets our sin. What a great exchange. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When we did my son's funeral in Boise, I found a new song I like better. I want you to hear it. The words will be on the screen. Listen carefully and close your eyes if you want to and ask the Lord if you're prepared for the things that will happen in a way that your life is built on solid rock. Listen to this. When the solid ground is falling now from underneath my feet Between the black skies and my red eyes I can barely see And when I'm feeling like I've been let down by my friends and my family I can hear the rain reminding me In the eye of the storm You remain in control Control. Yes, you 
Bible says that the devil is like a bird that snatches the seeds of truth. And most of us can't remember things we've heard um, an hour ago, much less a week from now. God's speaking to you. And he's asking you to make some choices in your life. I'm asking you to act on what you heard. Father, Would you look upon us now as those who want to follow you? These are your people. Those of us who are sitting here in this church facility, and we came here to worship you. But God, when the pain comes and the problems come in life, it shakes us. We need to have that sense of solid foundation, not only being baptized as a starting line, But God, you've saved us not from something. You've saved us for something. I pray, Lord, as our hearts are open to you, heads bowed and eyes closed, if God is speaking to some of you right now, right where you're set, and maybe you haven't yet totally solidified the fact that you are following Christ, today's your day. So, Father, I pray you give courage to every one of us to take our connection card and simply put on there, today is my day. I'm making a decision to follow Christ, and I joyfully, unashamedly want to share that. And everybody said, amen.